Yeah. So when you when you give up your body, I guess. When yeah. You, when. <laughs> when you offer your flower. <laughs> Can we do? <laughs> I love that we're actually talking about reed too. Like it's not. I know actually okay, a flower it's anyways no um it's you can't do it you don't do it lightly <laughs> you don't you give away say, your flower lightly when you, you are say raised in that kind of that reed did it hard <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i hate myself it's okay <laughs> all right we're back this is bethany and melissa and And we we are in bed with books in bed with books podcast we are going to be covering serpent and dove by shelby mahurin today we both read this about like a month ago, and so I think we're gathering our senses around it and having yeah. a really fun time because we both really loved this book when we read it. This is one of the books that definitely sparked the podcast. Jumping right into, I guess, some of our first thoughts mm-hmm. on the book. So one of my favorites is that as somebody who's read a lot of fantasy romance and everything, you always get the mate or the soulmate or they're destined for each other. And you don't really have that with Lou and with Reed. Mm-hmm. They just fall into each other in a way that's really organic almost. Yeah, for sure. I like that, like in a lot of other fantasies, like they bring in the mate trope or the heart mate in, yeah. from Blood and Ash. Uh, call out there but uh I do think that can be like so overdone when it comes to like fantasy I mean I'm I'm all for it like cool mates they're just like meant for each other like destiny but like this felt really real kind of grounded on earth Mm -hmm. and this kind of ties in with like what I was really taken with with this book when I first was reading it was definitely the magic and how it plays into the story So in fantasy, it's just this ever-present thing that, like, decides everything for people. And it just, like, it creates the hierarchies. It creates, like, oh, who's the most powerful? Whatever. And there's definitely some of that going on with, like, Morgaine. But I think when you're you're put into the story, you're, like, dropped into this world of people who have been living with magic their whole life. And And Lou's been practicing magic her entire life. Exactly. And so I just love, that's what I loved about this was that you're not like learning the magic with them. It was like kind of a unique experience where you get to like, like the first scene is like this, or like the first adventure, I guess, is like this heist. And so throughout the heist, you're just like shown what magic is because they're just doing it as they go. And it all like points to like the evolution of the plot. It's not like a knowledge dump or, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh my gosh, how did I do that? Um, <laughs> but I like <laughs> I like that it's like magic has such a tactile 
yeah aesthetic about it because it's very much about smells it's very much about colors of threads like mm-hmm. the, like the threads aren't literal but she can see them like in her mm-hmm. mind's eye and i love that because usually usually magic is tied to like emotions somehow mm-hmm. it's tied to like a very like center bodied kind of experience mm-hmm. um like the heart space or the gut and stuff like that and she definitely uses her gut a lot of its instinct but she has to think about it because she has to make those like balancing decisions. Mm-hmm. So she can't escape the mental aspect of magic in this. Exactly. And I think she has moments where she's like, this is, I have to train. Like she has to like mm-hmm. practice. It's a practice. It's not yeah. like a, a thing that just kind of, it's not its own entity. It's something she has to wield and work with and it's so it's like it's very like nature-based it's connected to the land i think they say yes um and so she has to draw from nature and nature is a balance she has to give something of herself and Mm -hmm. so it's this very much like magic is indifferent nature is indifferent it's going it doesn't care about good or evil it is it just is Mm -hmm. and so it's the wielder who has to like bring that about and that's what I really was really attracted to in this because magic seems to be this like all omniscient kind of yeah far reaching out of reach kind of thing that kind of flows through you and you just kind of act out of instinct and it's more of a luck game whereas like I feel like this one you have you watch Lou struggle to like retrain and like all of those things I think what I like about that as well is she avoids that like quote unquote like Mary Sue role, and like obviously there are some issues with that because a lot of times the Mary Sue trope can get applied incorrectly in my opinion. Not every strong female character is a Mary Sue, mm-hmm. but Lou is a badass. Like she jumps yeah. back into magic, and almost immediately a lot of it is really working out for her. But they still emphasize that this isn't out of nowhere she's tried very hard her entire life to be good at magic because as far as she knew she was like gonna be using it a lot longer yeah well Um, she's being hunted by her mothers and her mother's super strong so she's gotta like exactly exactly and so she has to pick that up she has to be strong um beyond just what she can do by luck which is Mm -hmm. honestly a lot like she gets by a, a lot on luck but it's not just luck. It's not mm-hmm. just those happenstances that keep her right alive. So you're dropped into this story with Lou, our protagonist, who is living on the streets. I, I, she's kind of living on the streets. She's living yeah. above the theater. In their, like, attic. Yeah, yeah the attic, the Solil Elune. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's an undercover witch. So in this world... Uh, in the main city. I can't remember the city. I think it's Belsera, but I might be wrong about that. Um, (laughs) Thank you. She's going to look it up. So um, in the main city, it's like ruled by the church and the archbishop. And so there's definitely a church versus witch dynamic. The witches are um, out in the woods in their own covens, but they are fighting over their land. Caesarine. 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 Yep. Yep. I don't know where Belsar is, but um, <laughs> somewhere. Um, so this, uh, so essentially the witches want their city back, but they kind of do it by really 
ridiculous, harsh means. Well, I mean, they're they're responding to generations of violence by the. They church. are, but they're pretty. They're pretty uh, violent ruthless. and ruthless, and they don't mind if innocents get in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, what they're after is the royals. However, Lou is not only a witch, which is essentially an outcast in the city proper. She's exiled from her coven. So she's definitely like an outcast. And you meet her friend Coco, who is from the Blood Coven. And she is also an outcast. So they just kind of are navigating the city undercover as witches. Um, and magic has smell. So you ha- she has to like be very careful about using her magic. She's not able to use her magic as much. Um, so, Well, I think she's like hidden in the city because when you live in a big city there's that kind of like anonymity that exists Mm -hmm. because there's so many people the odds of you running into somebody you know are pretty low if you're if you're going out of your way not to and so the problem with that though is that they're also in the heart of where the chasseurs are Mm -hmm. and so it's not just hiding their magic to like stay away from other witches but hiding their magic so they don't just accidentally burn at the stake yeah exactly so so the first scene is where you immediately meet Lou, who is this like broad-shouldered, broad-backed man you mean blocking. Who did I say? You said Lou. Oh no, I always <laughs> Lou is this man. No, um, Reed is, and he's a Chaucer, and she's in disguise as a man. I don't remember why. <laughs> But that shows a lot about her character, I guess, is that she's just like a thief. It's like explained away because she's kind of stealing clothes from the costume shop that she's like living in. Right. And so it's easier to hide and be unrecognizable if you're kind of gender bending yourself. Right. So she meets Reed and there's kind of a big massacre, essentially, because the Dome Blanches come in and kind of ransack I don't know just kind of I think it was like some kind of parade it was like a parade and then they um it turned into a massacre because the Chaucers retaliated and all that so mm-hmm. there's confusion going on there so she panics because she's watching this parade and she can kind of smell the magic about to happen and she realizes that her mother is probably a lot closer to finding her than she's yeah. comfortable with and so what we're also seeing is kind of the first seed of why she would say yes to being married to Reed. Yeah. Because the panic that she goes through, she just runs to the theater to try to hide until Mm -hmm. the heist is supposed to happen. So we've met him at the same time that she's about to be presented with solid proof that her fears are warranted. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the heist is to get Angelica's ring. They get it. Um, but not before the Chaucers show up and almost catch all three of them. Yeah. So I would like to preface this by saying Baz is a coward. He just like runs off. Like he's raiding this Mm -hmm. safe or whatever you want to call it. And the second they show up, he doesn't try to wait for her. He doesn't show any kind of worry about Coco. He just runs off like an asshole. And so then 
Lou, who's already broken both fingers as like a balancing act to try to unlock some locks, has to run off and try to escape on her own, which is when we meet Reed for a second time. But I think this this heist scene was both important to like the plot of like Lou is really wanting to avoid her mother's wrath. Yeah. Um, by getting the ring and becoming more more hard to get. Hard to reach, yeah. While also showing, involving Reed, but also showing how magic unfolds because there's, I think there's a moment when, because yeah. magic takes things from you, she has to give up a memory with Baz. Yeah. Because they were like lovers before. It shows you the give and take. It shows you that she can, yeah. it can be dangerous for herself because she can actually like, give too much of her surroundings Mm -hmm. to do her magic so well like when she broke her fingers it kind of shows one Mm. how willing she is to do what she needs to do in order to get this but she's kind of reckless she is a little reckless um but it's not without ruthless so that's that's kind of like my my like part b of this is that Mm. Later on in the book, as she's like practicing her magic and she's relearning that muscle and everything, she's not quite as instantaneous with those costs. She really wants to think them through, which certainly emphasizes how important that ring was for her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it also, but it also shows too that she does need to train because, yeah, and it's a mental thing. I think you said earlier, like yeah. it's very much it's instinctual, but you have to work for it. Being able to think on your feet and be quick and find the best route forward. And you can kind of see her clumsily going about that because she hasn't been able to like practice her magic, which is something that they say at the beginning. Yeah. She can't think outside of the box at that point. Yeah. Moving forward. There's a moment at the theater and I can't remember how it got to this point, honestly, but okay. it kind of it kind of introduces the read marriage thing. So on her way back from the heist, she's got the ring and everything. She runs into Andre and Gru. Oh yeah, which like Those little bastards. Yeah, screw Andre and Gru. But so they were security at the brothel when they were getting all the information for the heist, right? And so they hear this stuff, so they know that when they see Lou right after this, that they're seeing Lou with some goods. Like, they're expecting her to be just mm-hmm. brown and gold at this point. And so they attack her. And it's funny because she went through the whole heist fine. She got out with a couple of broken fingers, which, like, arguably not fun, but those will heal. But she leaves the fight with those two, like, like fucked up. She leaves yeah. really beaten up. And so the next morning... She tries to hide it when she sneaks down to go to the bathroom, but an, one of the actors sees her and gets really worried all of a sudden. And her response is so like, her response is so abused wife. Her response is like, oh, I fell. And then yeah. she sees her face and she's like, oh God, I look fucked up. Yeah. I look really beat up. Which I think tells you a lot about her personality that she is kind of like lives a little rough life that she doesn't even realize how fucked up she is. Yeah, like she she was like, oh, I see why she was worried. Like she yeah. couldn't just, it wasn't just bruises along her body that she was hiding. It wasn't a couple of broken fingers. It was a really beat up face. I think this also shows that 
her mother's been after her life. Like, she never thought she was going to live past the age of 16. Mm -hmm. And we haven't said this yet, but her mother already attempted her life. So, like, she's already seen a lot of violence and a lot of trauma. Like, her overlooking this, like, you kind of understand that as it Mm -hmm. goes along. 100%. Well... So then she leaves the bathroom. (laughs) She leaves the bathroom, and who should she run into but Reed for the third time? So I guess you could argue that in like some way they're fated for each other, but not in a way that's like very explicitly stated within the book, or that would have like any kind of precedence within the the world that they've created. Yeah, the universe, I guess, has not expressed a lot of like fate and destiny influence. It's very much. there's dogmas on both sides like you have the witch dogma which is like Lou needs to die (laughs) and then you have like the Chaucer dogma which is all witches need to die so there's not a lot of like I guess the omnipotent there's not a lot of like mysticism really it's all pretty explainable yeah um so she runs into Reed quite literally he immediately recognizes her, which is probably because he's he's seen her twice now, once in disguise. Um, and he chases her, which leads to them falling on stage, where he is immediately accused of trying to assault her, which she doesn't deny, which I don't entirely like. But also, if she hadn't just been caught by that actress in the hallway looking like a beat wife, they wouldn't assume. Yeah. Yeah. The kind of like the assumption that ends up happening is that this chasseur is using his power over her and he's the reason she's beat up. And the gal that finds them is uh, also an undercover witch, Estelle. Yes. She's technically been looking for Lou, but at this point, I don't think she realizes who she is. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But the. <laughs> oh, God. The Archbishop. I. Oh, God. I hate him with a burning passion. I think it's good to have a character to hate in a book, though. Yeah, you love that. I do. Um, But his response is somehow, the only reasonable thing we can do now is marry you two off. And he does this knowing, spoiler alert, that Lou is his daughter. Oh, does he already know that? Yeah, and so he's suspicious of it, because she supposedly looks a lot like her mother. Mm -hmm. But there's just this kind of... It's almost gross for me from like when you're coming at it from the archbishop's point of view, not from them, because they don't understand what's happening. Obviously, they don't know the kind of dynamic that actually exists here, but he raises Reed. And so Reed is like an adoptive son for him. Mm -hmm. And then his response to seeing his daughter is, well, how can I fix this? Let me marry her to the boy that I raised as my own. Well, I don't think it's gross in that way, like an ancestral thing. I think he just wants her around. I think it's a control thing. Like, I I'm, I, I realize where that sounds like I'm kind of, like, accusing incest. I don't really see incest so much as, like, he has control over Reed. Because he mm-hmm. sees that Reed is seeking that father figure just as much as, like, he actually is a father figure. Mm-hmm. And so the only way that he kind of knows how to do that with... Lou is by kind of serving as a father figure and I guess I don't want to say like a father figure specifically but a really patriarchal version of it where the father is giving the daughter away to her next owner Mm. but his words to justify it 
are no one will accuse you of assault if she's your wife because a man has a right to pursue and punish his wife which shows that he's seeing this as a control thing rather than an exchange yeah i mean i i can understand why lou did it like accepted it because honestly she's kind of the she's kind of the character that wouldn't do something like that if she didn't want if she didn't have a good reason to like she you know she's not the passive yeah female character reed just does it because our archbishop wants it yeah the archbishop was very like hollow in his descriptions of things when he's Mm -hmm. talking to like reed i feel like he didn't have a lot of like emotion which is part of his character yeah it was weird to me that reed still responded to it the funny thing is thinking about that and like is how much of it is just made up in his mind how much of it is him reaching oh absolutely i think i think it's definitely a good example of reed searching for straws of fatherhood and the archbishop just gave him attention yeah which does come into play later it shows how fickle of a foundation of parenthood that was established. Mm-hmm. And ironically enough, Lou has this same thing with her mother. Yes. So there's like parallels going on here with like father, mother, patriarch, matriarch societies. Yeah. Like Lou's struggling to figure out how to be like worthy because she's just essentially been told like she has to die. Yeah, like her her whole self-worth has been based around what they perceived as her purpose. Exactly. And so Lou, the whole book, is trying to kind of legitimize herself Mm -hmm. to prove to herself that she's worthy to be alive. And I think this comes out a lot in her recklessness. Yeah. I think her uh, recklessness with magic, which there's, there's a bit of recklessness like later as well, where she sacrifices a bit too much to save others Mm -hmm. um where she puts herself in at harm's way because i think she's just always believed that she was supposed to like sacrifice herself that's what she's been told since she was young i fully agree with that especially because she's been told that she's supposed to sacrifice for herself for like the coven and everything that's not a sacrifice Mm mm-hmm I guess jumping ahead a little bit in the plot, near the end in part three, when she gets captured- By her mother. By her mother, she eventually just concedes because she sees what she's done. Like she makes the choice for herself, which I think is really big for her. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like every point when she got reckless and she chose herself over somebody else, whether it was Baz or it was Madame LaBelle or somebody else, it's hurt her. She didn't like being that person and she makes that clear. And so I feel like all of those times when she thought she should have sacrificed something for them kind of just come out at once. And she's like, Mm -hmm. I'm not just doing this for the coven, but for everyone else that I've put in danger. Yeah. She's very self-sacrificing. And then like Reed comes on the, so they're married Reed. There's the, they only have one bed and (laughs) they, (laughs) they have to, they have to share quarters, which are, like, small quarters for, like, the Chaucers, which, like, tells should me they... that they're, like, low on the totem pole of, like, hierarchies. Yeah. Like, I feel like you should have, like, a separate wing for the married ones. Maybe then they'd be yeah. more inclined to get married, too. Because that ends up being a problem, doesn't it? Is they keep losing Chaucers who get married. Right. 
And it's like, maybe if they had a better living quarters, they wouldn't all leave you. Yeah. Yeah, so they are sharing quarters. So they start developing a relationship that is, like, so fucking fun. I love it so much, which is, like, read... I love... (laughs) (laughs) I love our messages where... Oh, no, my notes. My notes, I put, read is hard. (laughs) God. He... Because I was just like, ugh. So he... He just doesn't know how to navigate it at all. He's so thunderstruck by this, like, whirlwind that she does. Yeah, because she is so unpredictable. She has no propriety. Like, she just doesn't care. She is taking a bath and he's just like blushing like it's just this such an adorable like dynamic that i cannot get enough of it (laughs) it's funny because they're married and so based on the archbishop's train of thought where Mm -hmm. like he's her husband he has every right to pursue and punish her which reed to his credit is immediately disgusted with he's just kind of like ew okay um but he meets her halfway he recognizes that very little about his life has changed. Like, yes, he doesn't get to marry the love of his life, Seely, but he'd already kind of decided not to. Mm-hmm. He just hadn't accepted that yet. Yeah. They're staying where he's lived his entire life. His entire daily schedule, weekly schedule is the same. And so he's trying very hard to create a space for her where she feels safe. Mm-hmm. He sleeps on the floor. He, like, gives tries to give her idiot. privacy. I know. It's like he immediately is not a Chaucer dick. Yes. He's just, like, very gentlemanly. Mm-hmm. Just everything you want. And just to, like, to emphasize that he's not, a, like, a, a Chaucer dick, when we meet the other ones, they are. They're yeah. assholes. Mm-hmm. And so it really shows that it's a read thing and not something that's taught to them. Yeah. But then, so throughout part two, what I really like is that we first get the introduction of their dynamic as they're trying to navigate each other, but then it kind of slowly mirrors those interactions with similar ones where Reed has learned to hold his ground against her antics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she, she is very much a tease. And oh, yeah. it's very much like, like, you have these Chaucers who aren't, like, allowed to, like, do anything they're like nuns they're like the male version of nuns and yet they have a lot of power and like dominance they're like the police also of Mm -hmm. like the church so then you have like lou who is comes from a very like matriarchal unrefined i would say like in comparison to like the the church morals so she like there's that scene where, like, she comes in, she had, like, escaped the room or whatever and, like, came back and he's, like, was trying not to be angry, but he was. And he was, like, uh, she came in with, like, his robe on and, like, had it, like, open. And it was funny because you're reading it and you're thinking, like, she's naked, but she just has pants on. <laughs> yeah. But they're not, it's not a dress. It's not a skirt. And he's just blushing and he's, like, trying not to look. See her shape. <laughs> yeah, her the thick thick thighs and this is his his point of view so like he notes the thick thighs and she was like well i didn't like the dresses that the guy brought me because they were like the maids and they just had the neckline all the way up and so 
it insinuated that she was wearing something maybe like low cut. And so he's just quoting scripture in his head, not in judgment of her behavior, but his, because he's just like angry and he doesn't know how to direct his sexual frustrations. Yeah, he's like, he's very much aware that, not that he should be demonizing, I guess, his sexual urges at all, but he's not judging her necessarily for it he's just he's doing like the equivalent of when you're trying not to get a boner in public when you think of like really terrible things to try to kill it yeah so you start thinking about about bible scripture (laughs) (laughs) yes i love too it's kind of like she's this chaotic energy that comes into this like very structured Mm -hmm. like routine right so he's just like how did you get out where are you going? <laughs> like, he's so angry at her for the fact that, like, she's make confusing his life in that yeah. way, like, disrupting, I guess. But but he's trying to rein it back because he has this respect for his wife. Yeah. Kind of going back to, like, the fact that he's lived in that room for nearly his entire life, I don't think it ever would have occurred to him to just leave anyway. Like, if the archbishop or anybody that was kind of above him within their hierarchy had told him to like go to his room and think about what he'd done. He Mm would have just done it. Like he would have just sat in there. I don't think there's even a lock on the door. Yeah. And so when we hear about her getting out of the room, she doesn't like escape. She just leaves. She's like, she's like the security isn't great. (laughs) Yeah. And so he's so perplexed that she would do that. So at the same time that she's, navigating and learning about the tower and the chasseurs where she's like found this weird sense of security at her mother's imminent arrival. Mm -hmm. Reed is also learning that he's also learning where he has a little bit of wiggle room, like the kind of stuff that he was scared to do when he was younger Mm -hmm. because he was scared he was going to lose the Archbishop. And so I think that's funny because she's learning, like we talked about, like how to make a choice for yourself, but so is he. So a lot of their arc mirrors each other. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think overall their relationship together for Lou is very much about her. Coven has essentially rejected her as a person. Yeah. And she knows reed is a witch literally a witch hunter like that's actually we didn't really specify that but he the chaucers are witch hunters and she's a witch so she's living this lie which is a big part of their relationship because all reed knows is that she was a thief because she was involved with the heist yeah he knows that a witch was there but yeah he hasn't connected the two yeah like there's been a few like little lies that she said and he's just like don't lie to me be honest that's like important to me meanwhile she's like completely lied about who she is so she's has to live being like witchless essentially and they start to kind of like fall for each other and for the first time i think other than maybe coco reed has actually seen her as a person And so she's finding what she hasn't been given by her own people. Yeah. In Reed. 
And Reed is also exploring that as well, where she's bringing out kind of the devil in him, like, a little bit. Yeah. Like, which is kind of what you were saying. Like, she's kind of, like, letting him loose, let your hair down kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So Reed is falling in love with her because he sees her. He doesn't see the witch yet. But she makes an active choice repeatedly to see past the mm-hmm. Chaucer identity. Because as she's realizing that he's a much nicer person than she might have originally thought, even though she's having a good time teasing him and taunting him, she also sees how protective he is, how respectful he is. Like, it doesn't, it's not lost on her that he's sleeping on the floor instead of in the bed with her. Right. And I think, well, this is like a really good example as well of just pride and prejudice. Like, you're looking at the other person and you think one thing. And then, like, because even her being a thief, like, he doesn't know she's a witch. He's still making the effort to try and see past that and try and, like, make her part of his family. Yeah. And then she's seeing past his ridiculous upbringing, like... Yeah. On some level, for him, it's that he thinks this is long-term permanent. Mm -hmm. I also like... That yeah, the Chaucers are and the the church is a are dicks and the witches are kind of batshit crazy, but this yeah. is an example of like extremes, and then you see actually like the middle ground mm-hmm. of where most people are. Most people are just following what they've been told, mm-hmm. right? Like, but then there's always going to be that voice inside that says, "No, I'm going to honor this." my wife and she's going to be like no he's been raised in this like ridiculous thing she's also been raised in a ridiculous world like the opposites attract type thing like lou is rubbing off on reed but reed is also rubbing off on lou so it's like products of two like completely different worlds Mm -hmm. which is chaucer's is that you you need a little bit of both for them to find a way forward because yeah you need a little bit of like concern and like morality around it because you have La Dame Blanche that has like none <laughs> yeah um but then you also need to like calm the fuck down and just be true to who you're who you are mm-hmm. right like which is I think is like the whole witch perspective which is like like we're here we're not going anywhere you can't eliminate us right mm-hmm. and you see Reed and Lou both make those choices Lou is actually in her relationship with Reed is choosing to overlook, right? And to be more honest and yeah. be a better person. And she feels you see- that she owes it to him because yeah. at, at some point she does realize that he is also a person mm-hmm. who's just as stuck in the situation as she is. Yeah. And same with Reed is like making the choice to like mm-hmm. love his wife, but then it actually turns into like loving the witch right because then he finds out and still chooses her yeah not immediately which was so oh that was heartbreaking but yeah oh okay do we want to talk about that do we want to hear me openly sob on the podcast yeah um i'll try to keep the tears to a minimum i actually don't blame him really for his reaction Mm -hmm. i'd be more surprised if that wasn't how it happened because this is after she's promised to start being honest Mm -hmm. and after they've made love right so she's like actually openly betraying him 
Yeah, and she point. feels terrible for it. Mm-hmm. She was 100% going to tell him, but then the archbishop showed up, and then they ended up going to the play where it's revealed that she's his daughter. And it's unfortunate the way that plays out, because I would have liked to see Reed's reaction without the threat of a witch attack, because they're just, like, full-on attacking the tower at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. But almost immediately he regrets it because not that i remember the the exact wording but he does tell ansel who's in the room at this point with them that she's not his wife anymore he doesn't honor that because she lied and so obviously Mm -hmm. he's feeling very very betrayed because we know he's not a cold person he's proven he hid a stupid romance book in his room (laughs) and read the same one for years so we know he's not a callous person, but he's a hurt person by that point mm-hmm. because he's trying to honor the promise and he realizes that it was hard, at the, at the very least, that it was hard for her to do that. And he's, mm-hmm. oh, God, <laughs> here they come. Here come emotions. Uh. <laughs> okay. I think like Reed, because of his upbringing, and having such like a hollow, shallow father figure in the archbishop, like not really having anyone to ever look after him or care about him. Yeah. Lou is like the first person to really show any of that. And so mm-hmm. I think he's willing to put up with that lie or like not yeah. necessarily forget it, but like overlook it and like fight for her and like want yeah. her at the end of the day because he literally ha- has no one else has never been shown the kind of unconditional love, the kind of acceptance, the kind of patience from anyone, even the archbishop. He realizes though pretty immediately that if he at that moment decides not to pursue her, there is not going to be a future where they'll be able to possibly work through it. Mm. Because when they had the whole play and everything, once he realizes who she is in the play and all that jazz, he's also realizing that she's going to die. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But then there's that. So I kind, I kind of want to talk about too, Ansel, oh, and his like. I love him. I love him. His like, adjacent role as like part of the Chaucer ish community, yeah. being receptive to witchcraft and her as a witch. Like he witnesses Lou taking the pain of Estelle burning at the stake. Yeah, and sees that sees the I guess selflessness the selflessness in Lou but also the it's another word for like gray like not black and white um like he sees that magic isn't this like evil thing that it's layered and that it can actually do good and other things other than just like evil witchcraft yeah I, I mean I love Ansel especially because when she wakes up a few days later after Estelle's burning and we find out that Ansel is not a complete idiot and figured out what was happening, mm-hmm. he accepts her. He's figured out that Coco and her are helping each other. I think it does help that he's not technically part of their cohort. He still has to be accepted mm-hmm. into it because he's also not been fully indoctrinated. Right. Well, and he, what he sees is there's a lot of mystery around the structure of Chaucer's. He's like, I don't even know who my mother was. Like, 
Yeah. And that kind of becomes like a theme. But then he also becomes imperative to Reed accepting Lou. Mm-hmm. He's the one who pushes Reed to go find this little ragtag group or to join their ragtag group to f- help her. And if it had like just been Coco, it wouldn't have happened that way. Yeah, so we were thinking, we were like, oh, let's... Um... Well, do you have much more to say about Ansel? I think at no, least... I think for... that was about it. Yeah. Okay, so before we jump into part three, where it gets really sad a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> I do want to talk about their dynamic a little bit more specifically and the way that grows in part two of the book. So one of my favorite examples of kind of mirroring events in part two is when she pretends like she's about to strip in the middle of the street when they're on their date. Oh my God, I love and that part. And he panics. Like he's like, oh God, oh my wife. And he like covers her. <laughs> oh, my wife. <laughs> um, but then when they're oh, at another point, they're outside again. And she pretends like she's about to do it again. And he just stands there and he's like, okay, do it. I dare you. Like, he's yeah. he's like so challenging to her. And it was, oh, it's so great. Because you can see how far he's coming opening up. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't do it. Right. Because and she's so, now, now she's like, this is real. Like, yeah. You know, and she was like teasing before, but it's not a tease when he's teasing. You know what I mean? Like, he's yeah. teasing. Because it's a tease, and we've talked about this a little bit on the side, is it's a tease to deflect. Yes. She doesn't like to talk about serious things because, one, it would expose the reality of their situation, which he's not entirely privy to at this point. But mm. she didn't want to strip. She just wanted to distract him. Yeah. And at some point, he realizes that. And so at, when she's trying to do it, yeah, and when, he's, when she's trying to do it again, exactly, he faces it. And she's like, oh, God, it's real. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. <laughs> I do love their first date. Because they, where do they go? They go down to, like, the uh, the bakery where she mm-hmm. used to spend time. And I guess she used to, this is just, like, a small detail that I absolutely love. She used to lie to the baker about how Baz was treating her to get free sticky buns. <laughs> And so the problem is he's never seen Baz, the baker. And so he assumes that when she walks in with Reed, that Reed is Baz and like chastises him. He's like, you should know what you have. She's too good for you. Don't mistreat her anymore. And Reed's just like, like dumbstruck. He's like, what is happening? (laughs) And she's like, free sticky buns. That's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but she does it in a, by means of dishonest like in a dishonest way and so he's just kind of like sees a bit more into like her there like yes he does but it's funny because he doesn't he's not mad no no he's he's learning he's kind of just sinking in and learning her ways and -hmm. how she kind of navigates life and i think he's starting to see too that she is deflecting and surviving yeah like you said so this is like another example of like her being dishonest or you know fibbing the truth there like to get free sticky buns is like her way of just like surviving i guess yeah and because he was raised in the tower his idea of a difficult life was very different Mm -hmm. than living on the streets of cesarine 
And so I think he's really having to confront what it means to actually survive in their society because he's only had the church and then like the some nobles that he's met along the way. Yeah. And so I think he's seeing that it's not as clear cut as he was raised to believe. Yeah, like, because there's those moments when, like, he takes her to the theater. Like, he takes her to her. He takes her to his, like, side of the world. Like, Mm -hmm. instead of living in the theater, they're going to, like, attend the theater. Yeah. And he has to kind of make concessions for her because she, like, can't be, like, she's not a Sealy. You know, she's definitely, like, got her own mind and doesn't understand that kind of world. And, like, what am I trying to say? Like, I don't think she cares to. She No, she doesn't care. And she knows it's the superficiality of it. And I think yeah. Reed then, it kind of clicks for him that, yeah. <laughs> like, what you and I have is more real than this. Like Exactly. So then kind of going back to the romance uh, book that he's kept hidden in his room. It's no wonder that he fell for beautiful, pious, innocent Celie. Mm-hmm. Because she's exactly the kind of like character that would exist in a book that he enjoys. Yeah, that but he didn't feel his only representation of romance. Exactly, and so then when he starts to fall for Lou. It's different because it feels the way that he thought it should have felt with Celine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that they go see like the stage version of the book too, because she was so invested in it. Oh yeah. It's so sweet. Okay. But then there's that. Then there's the date where they go to the market, the Yule. What is it? They're oh, just buying Yule gifts because it's just like Christmas but pagan name. Yeah, but I think it's like they go to the square or something. They go somewhere to um, procure gifts for each other. And I forget where Reed goes. He gives her the ring, doesn't he? Yeah. That's what he ends up giving her, yeah. And she goes to the forge, who, like, she knows everyone. And they all know her. And so that's why she really wants to keep separated. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because... I don't I think she wants her identity as a witch to like get out because I think yeah. like the not the butcher the what are they called the Forge blacksmith master? blacksmith Forge <laughs> master. I like that one <laughs> he recognized I don't know how many people within the He's town the master of the forge <laughs> <Shut up. laughs> Um, yes, he's yeah. the blacksmith. But he, I don't know how many people know she, she's rich, but she's scared, obviously. But he, he's made blades for her before. Yeah. I think there's, like, a history there. So he go, she goes there, and they're like, hey, it's me, you know, little catch-up. And then something happens. Oh, he's yeah, just Andre like, oh. and Gru come yeah, in. he's like, give me a minute. And then ten minutes later, those assholes show up. Yeah. So then <sighs> she's in the back of the forge, and... They start, Andre and Gru just start, like, attacking her and assaulting her and things. And it's, we kind of spoke on this before, but it's, as much as, like, Andre and Gru are, like, these 
Humpty Dumpty, like, <laughs> I don't know how better to describe it. But you called them, what did you call them? Like, but I called them, I think I called them dum dums. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> they're like very stereotypical, like bronze before brains kind of brutes, brutes, brute, just like figures. Yeah. So but they, yeah, go ahead. They are smarter than the older tropes were. Like, you can't just kind of say a, a complicated sentence and wait for them to cut for their brains to turn to mush they're not like predictable they're not yep. like a caricature they're definitely no. like and i'm not exactly sure what kind of vendetta they have against her but this is like their second attack or whatever but they are they steal the ring from her she attacks them uses magic and burns their bodies essentially yeah um, but I think what we're talking about, like with like, oh yeah, Humpty Dumpty, like their attacks are like really intense. And we know that Lou is like not a sweet soul. Like she, that's not a good way to say it. A damsel. Um, yeah. She's not a damsel. And so we know like she can like take care of herself. And yet these guys just like, I think he has like his foot on her neck and she's just like screaming with tears. Like it's really hard like a harrowing scene and then she she finally kind of gets her magic like Mm -hmm. into check and she's able to like burn their bodies essentially like get the upper hand and then kill them and so then she like she hears people coming so she knows like reed's coming who's a chaucer who doesn't know she's a witch yet and it smells like magic and so she like fumbles and gets the ring back or whatever and then has to like get rid of the smell and so then she like douses everyone in water and char- like charcoal water and stuff and anyways and then there's this that part where reed comes in doesn't really look i mean he kind of looks over the scene but he literally goes straight to her yeah and is like are you are you harmed like and i think i i doggy eared this page and i'm not and I was trying to remember why. And I think it's because this is, like, the first time when Reed, like, really, like, really confesses his concern for her. Yeah. In, like, I don't want to say public, but, like, outside of, like, their bed, <laughs> the one bed, like, yeah. situation. Like, outside of you're my wife, but, like, also in, like, a violent, intense situation like that. He's in witch hunter mode when it comes to like not witch hunter mode because they're like on a date i guess what i'm trying to say is like she's expecting him to be in witch hunter mode because there's magic smell everywhere she like douses it and gets rid of it and so when he comes in and is like so concerned for her safety it's like no one's ever really done that for her and i think up until that point even as the reader it seems kind of like he's concerned about this only in the sense of his honor Mm-hmm, regarding mm-hmm. the promise that he made to her but yes. at, at this moment he's very concerned for her well-being as a person exactly and i think somehow that scene makes that distinction yeah yeah and, and then, then, then they kiss. kiss yeah yeah because because that's him like emotionally like relenting his yeah like, that the wife on the honor and the fear and it's more about like instinct which is what she is she kind of Mm -hmm. represents to him yep i think 
kind of just touching on Andre and Gru just for another second. Like you said, she's not a damsel, but she's also been training with Coco for a while now, like That's in true. private in the infirmary. Yeah. And so the fact that she was that terrified, it, it shows just how real that threat was because she's trying to use her magic, but she doesn't want to kill anyone. But then she eventually realizes she doesn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. Like those are the only options being presented to her, which does kind of tell you. So when we talk about like it being about balance and everything, if the threads that are being presented to her are only resulting in their death, that means that their only goal was to kill her. Right, right. And so I think she has that moment where finally she realizes that either she's going to get out of there or those mm -hmm. two are going to get out. Yeah. And so she has to make that choice for, for herself to be right. that person. And she doesn't and really like that. No, and, and I think that that's like a really big moment for her, right? Because she's kind of been cornered into this situation where she has to sacrifice herself for like the, her coven. And so yeah. her life has always been this like selfish endeavor. And this is the first time where she gets to choose whether she lives or dies because she knows like how much easier her life. Well, no, because she would die. How much easier like her coven and Coco's life perhaps yeah. would be if she were just to like disappear and die. Um, because what kind of life is that to just be constantly running and yeah. knowing that you can like never. So like it was a good moment for her to actually choose herself yeah. officially. Yeah. Big scene, big scene. Yeah. Also really satisfying to see those two die. So. And Rita you know, she kiss. was like, she had the moral conundrum there, mm -hmm. but they were not. They needed to die. <laughs> yeah. They were not good people. No. It was, uh, it was great. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So they have their first kiss. They talk to the other Schlossers, they kind of give their statements, all of that jazz. They finish up their shopping trip. And then she takes him up to the attic at the theater because she has this moment where I don't think she's ready to tell him yet what she is specifically. But he, want, he kind of tries to get it out of her. He says, I want to know you. I want to know so you more. She concedes a little bit. She like she mm -hmm. is, she's like, um, let me show you where I was when we got together, Yeah, basically. And, oh, <laughs> it was just such an intimate scene that if it hadn't ended in sex, it would have almost felt too romantic. Yeah, like gross. Yeah. It would, it would have been gross if they didn't have sex. Yeah. That would have made it ultimately. That too would vulnerable. Have, it would be an abom, it would be abominable. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's a big step for him because what that also means is that he's fully accepted her as his wife. Mm -hmm. We don't know that until the, the scene with the ball where he's getting honored and everything. But he had to some degree thought that he would marry Celie when he grew up. And so when he chooses to have sex with her, to have sex with Lou, he's telling her that he's ready for this to be real, basically. For him, she knows that sex isn't the end all be all, but being raised in a church 
that's what it is for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you when you give up your body, I guess. Yeah. When (laughs) when you offer your flower. (laughs) Can we do? (laughs) I love that we're actually talking about Reed too. Like it's not. No actually okay, a flower it's anyways no um it's you can't do it you don't do it lightly <laughs> you don't you give away say. your flower lightly when you, you are raised in that kind of that reed did it hard <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i hate myself it's like <laughs> read is hard yeah <laughs> yeah it's not something you can give up easily um yeah and i do kind of like that we get that from lou's point of view that scene mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i love how angry she gets about Celie. like yeah. she she clearly can't see yet she clearly can't see yet how jealous the Sealy situation makes her mm-hmm. but her lines are like I can't believe Celie would leave him to find this all out on his own. What are first loves for? If not for like, you know, mumbling, like bumbling hands. Yeah. And discovery. Yeah. And like, so he is literally a virgin and he's never done anything. He's kissed. She's even like, yeah, she taught him to kiss and I'll give her that. But that's all I'm going to give her. Yeah. So it's such a sweet scene because they're on the rooftop and like getting intimate and stuff and mm-hmm. she like guides his hands yeah to, like, there's a big emphasis on the hands which mm-hmm. I like and so she guides his hands to like undo her dress or whatever and then I love it because she's like and I guided his hands down between my legs I think is as explicit as it gets mm-hmm and then she says, this is how you touch me. And I just yeah. loved that because it was like, this is how I like to be touched, you know, because that's all that matters. That's all that matters because she was just in that chapter, like just like getting frustrated about Celie's role. And his yep. like, and then she's like, this is how you touch me. Um, yeah. And then she goes, this is, this is what I want. Like, this is what I like or whatever. And I just yeah. love that. I do think that is the moment that he decides to really let Celie go. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because Celie didn't give away her flow. <laughs> but also, Celie... Not that she needed ...was to. so just... <laughs> passive in yeah. their relationship. Like, she just kind of accepted everything. Because it what was it? It was after her sister was killed by the witches... Yeah. that they stopped really seeing each other and that was his call and she admits at some point that she didn't want that and mm-hmm. it's like well why didn't you speak up like if you're not going to ask for it you're not going to get it yeah and that's what lou knows she knows if you want to get it you got to ask for it and so she does definitely with her body yes yes so that's a really sweet scene and there's there's nothing more cute about like the man being like the one learning, being the timid one or whatever. Yeah. I think that's really sweet. You don't see that often. No, you especially don't. In, especially in fantasy romance where it's 
in YA, which is all about like the man just having all of this restraint Power. and ability to just please her all the time. Mm-hmm. And like, it's nice to see it like flipped where it's yeah. like, no, sometimes like the man needs like some guidance and help. And I like that even though he was raised in this very strict environment, he doesn't immediately reject what they're doing mm-hmm. or feel guilt about it later. Yeah. He's very accepting of that step that they've taken. Well, I think that, I think he needed time. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like they fucked the first, the night of their marriage, like... He definitely needed the emotional understanding and the love to kind of develop. Because I think his kind of the attitude when they got married was that he was his wife and or she was his wife and he was going to protect her and make right, make her part of his family. And whenever it happened, it would happen. But it was not going to be something that was rushed into because he she's her property so it's very much like it was very much a decision they both made yeah and so they were ready for they like were ready for that step when it happened and i don't think it would have happened in any any other way i think there was also a level again of him recognizing that he inherently holds more power in their relationship Mm. and so kind of waiting for her to make that initiation yeah and i think also because it was sex she was doing the same thing mm-hmm. she recognized mm-hmm. that that was not an easy thing she could not have jumped into that with yes. him so it really emphasizes their ability at this point to see each other mm-hmm. i think we can move into like the part three yeah i'm down for that so the the play that happens at the tower right and it's like outside of it but yeah yeah um and they all attend and i think lou is with the archbishop at the time mm-hmm. and uh they reveal in the play that um the archbishop is lou's father yeah and you you said that before and it kind of all hell breaks loose they find out it was the dame's blanches don's blanches that like initiated the play and morgan is there is there and kidnaps lou and takes her Mm -hmm. off into a carriage and that's really sad (laughs) yeah well lou almost escapes but then because reed finds out who she is and what she is immediately Mm -hmm. rejects her out of fear and i don't think if like if that hadn't happened and lou hadn't run off i don't think her mother would have gotten her yeah and so there is a level of guilt, I think, yeah, on Reed's part, mm-hmm. realizing that if he'd been there to protect her, he might have, she might have escaped. Yeah, her mother. Yeah. So then part three starts then, after that, with her pretty much waking up kind of semi-paralyzed in her mom's lap. Mm-hmm. Um, and, we, and we meet Mano, who yeah. was her childhood friend, that is just like, supporting Morgane yeah. and getting her like I don't like her <laughs> Yeah, I think I have a really really hard time with the coven in general Yeah, because 
they just absolutely refuse to see Lou as a person. Yeah, it's like, I don't, like, it makes me wonder if, like, Morgane just has, like, this weird... Like, mind control thing? Yeah, like, some kind of in- magical influence over, like, they they just become this little army of hers, and it doesn't yeah. really make a Like, you don't get to... There's no dimension to it. Like, you don't... It's a very one-dimensional coven, just point blank. Morgane and the coven are evil. Like, you don't really have yeah. any... Like, there's no descent. Lou is the descent. Yeah, and then you're exactly. like, well, what... Like, there's no other, like, friends. Like, she's never... So, I guess she's never established any bonds with people in her coven that would, like, concede to, like, her side. Like, that would understand where she's coming from. Like I doubt her mother would have even allowed it. Exactly. So, then you can kind of see maybe how much isolation she was in. So, Mm -hmm. then there's... Yeah, there's not a lot of politics inside of the coven that are explained you kind of hear, oh, like, Lou's experience with her friend Manon, like, is she a, like, she would let them play together some, mm-hmm. sometimes, it seems like... and then it just kind of became, it almost kind of, there was, like, a switch that happened yeah. when she came of a certain age, and then, like, no one was, like, allowed to talk to her or something, like. So when we first get back to uh, the chateau that the coven lives at, mm-hmm. and she's reunited with Manon. That sounded so like white person trying to sound French. At first she finds comfort in her presence there because she thinks that at least she's got this friend with her. But then she pretty immediately realizes that even this girl that she grew up with is Mm -hmm. not gonna be any help for her. Like the relationship that they had is not, is essentially nothing. It's essentially, yeah. like, not going to help her, yeah. Yeah. And so I think this third part, and seeing the treatment that she's experiencing at their hand is really, really important retrospectively for the way that Lou seemed to act a lot, like, with the recklessness that she was exhibiting and the aggressive survival tactics that she would mm-hmm. employ to try to not starve to death or freeze to death at night. And it's, it really, oh, it really frustrates me that they're seeing it as a sacrifice, but she's not doing it willingly. Like a sacrifice requires the person who's dying Mm -hmm. to do it, to give it up. And they're not giving her the opportunity to do that. They just keep trying to manipulate her into it. Yeah. Drug her up or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much why it didn't work the first time. Mm-hmm. And so they're almost too up their own butts to see the kind of fallacy in what they're trying to force her to do. No, yeah, and I think I, I mean, it's do- it's definitely like a dogma. Like they're just, oh, it's a sa-, like they're just convincing themselves it's a sacrifice, it's necessary. Mm-hmm. But obviously, Lou's shown them she's not a willing participant. Yeah, and so it's it just becomes a Lou hunt, which is yeah. not. Yeah, it's it's is, all it's all to reinforce them needing to save the coven because yeah. they need it lose okay. Lose sacrifice is all because, right, more gain will become more powerful so that she can overtake the city and be ha- get their city back or their land. Yeah. Like that's essentially like the whole symbol. point of trying to get Lou. Yeah, she's like the symbol like it was a concerted effort 
to have the archbishop be her father because then what she's doing is ending her own bloodline sacrificing that for power and then also sacrificing a symbol of the church one by desecrating the archbishop's image and two yes. by literally killing his child yes and so in the intent then is for her to take down the church as well ironically if they hadn't gotten married lou would have done it yeah which i find kind of funny because the archbishop is trying to save face basically by having them get married but lou found one loophole by saying she would give up her life at the chateau if she could keep her life right and then she almost found the second loophole inadvertently by nearly having reed accused of assault mm -hmm. and so there is to some level clearly a power above morgan that is listening and just not playing it out the way yes as intended yes and i don't think we're giving anything away when because the third book is literally called gods and monsters yes that there's higher levels of being than yeah. Morgaine. so that's kind of exciting to see oh like where is this gonna go who does she have to reckon with for her sins yeah exactly okay so so lou is captured by her mother she's has literally she's magically drugged by her mother so she like can't control her limbs or anything or escape or use her own magic so she's essentially facing the reality of her own death which is really awful because it's almost like all it, it feels like everything she's ever fought for which has been for herself is just like all for naught and it's very yeah. dis, it's very disheartening and she loses um, her fight too like she physically yeah. can't move yeah but then emotionally she just kind of gives up she like withdraws yeah she gives yeah. up mm -hmm. so but then you have the ragtag team <laughs> which i love which is madame labelle ansel reed beau and coco all kind of grouped together to like try and save her yes and the funny thing is so coco is obviously beautiful in the book yes ansel's there because lou is his friend but he's also there because he's deeply in love with coco yes and then beau is there because he's also in love with Coco, but he's trying to like cock block Ansel, which isn't that hard because she views Ansel as like a little brother. Well, and Bo's kind of like this pretty boy, mm -hmm. and he's kind of like a tease, and and, and Coco, her, him, and Coco kind of have like a little like rapport. Yeah. Um, but we also find out that part of Lou's. I guess curse we could call it at this point is that once she's killed it's also gonna kill all of the children of the king which is but oh my god so I completely missed that really because I'm this like what is this obsession with the king and his kids and I'm like I, I don't understand it and I guess I just missed that sacrificing That's her own bloodline way more for sense. all of the ones of power at Cesarine okay yeah and so Bo's there to save himself and his yeah. sisters obviously but then it's also revealed that reed is a bastard of the king 
Yes. With none other than Madame LaBelle, who we find out is also a witch. Yeah, so he is, because Madame LaBelle has red hair. Yes. And then you're just like, oh, like, and you know, you just kind of like, the wheels are turning. So yep. Madame LaBelle and Aug- King August, is it August? Or August, because there's an E at the end. I'm just going to call it August. Yeah, that works for <laughs> me. He's just a ass. Yeah. Um, had an uh, had a, an affair, of course. He actually had at least twenty four affairs. Yeah. So. <laughs> and Madame Labelle is literally the Madame of the brothel, so yeah. she was. You know, they would hang out, and <laughs> they made Reed. And so, Reed is a son of royalty. Yeah. Of that bloodline, so and you're saving the- Reed's life. You're saving Bo's life. By saving lose and so part three is very much reed having to confront all of that kind of underbelly that he had the privilege of ignoring before and immediately he's like you're not my mom that's not real yeah denial yeah 100 denial but he quickly backtracks on that when in the final scene or the near final scene she's killed like he he thinks she's killed she gets like mortally wounded in their mm-hmm. last battle and it's oh okay we'll jump to that scene in a second because i do want to talk about the ragtag team a little bit more okay um okay <laughs> no go ahead. no the ragtag there's, team there's a cute. lot to dig out of that final battle absolutely absolutely okay that's uh, that's all. Uh, I guess the the plan to save Lou, the scheme, is Madame LaBelle kind of pulls rank <laughs> and yeah. becomes like the head of the ragtag team because she's the only one that can really do a lot of magic. And there's this cat that comes along, which ends up being a Madagot that she explains can like send messages or whatever. I don't know. Like a lost soul or something. Mm-hmm. So she sends a message to someone. I think it's the Chaucers. Oh, yes. Yes. Thank you. Madame LaBelle sends a message to the Chaucers to like show up. This is where the chateau is mm-hmm. to kind of mainly. They, knew to... they weren't a big enough group. That's why. Right. They well, mainly, mainly because they wanted like a disruption, like a disturbance so yeah. that they could just like grab Lou and go. Yeah. Um, but they, t- they, uh, they all, have i think magical disguises. disguises and so what how does it go it's like Bo and reed are the Bo girls or something <laughs> but they made like reed really attractive okay. and so the, the girls that they run into are like we'll take those two and point to like reed and ansel and then he's like what about my brother and they're like uh, fine and then they which is Bo, needed- right like yeah, Bo's like the, the ugly one. <laughs> they pretty immediately just kind of abandon Bo when they get onto the sh- or like into the chateau. Yeah, which I just find so funny. He was yeah. so offended. Yeah, <laughs> but Madame Labelle one hundred percent did it because she knew that he needed to be put in his place. Yeah, he was a brat. They needed to start that early. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, and then and then kind of to go off like the attitude of the coven like you actually get to go inside of the coven Mm -hmm. you get kind of a a look into like their 
attitude about Modronaut and the sacrifice. And they just seem, like, super excited. And this is just, like, just seems like all propaganda, it feels like. Like, they're just kind of following the, you know, Hitler that is Morgane. (laughs) It's very celebratory for what's about to be the murder of her child. Yes. Yes. Like, their attitude is just very much, like, this is is the answer. So, do you want to kind of discuss, like, the actual everything yeah so i guess like the we'll the that. final battle they really is it they a really battle cut it close to time it, it, it ends up felt being like one. oh okay yeah it ends up being one because the chasseurs show up if the chasseurs hadn't shown up then it would not have ended the way that it did it would have ended very terribly for them yeah but basically they're about to do the sacrifice but then we find out that Madame LaBelle got captured pretty immediately after arriving at the chateau. Mm-hmm. And that's because she ran out of magic disguising everybody else. And so she couldn't really disguise herself. She was just kind of hoping to get by on good looks, I think. Yeah. Um, so Reed's disguised. He realizes that Morgane's about to kill his mother. And then she essentially dies. Scuffle happens. Ansel does a distraction. Coco shows up. Coco, because she uses different kind of magic and she's from a different coven, they don't get along. So now there's like a rival witch. Yeah, she's like not welcome. Yeah. Yeah. So Bo and Ansel and her are trying to distract while Reed is trying to save Lou. He's just seen what he believes to be his mother's death and like held her dying body in his hands. Mm -hmm. And then Lou almost escapes, but her friend shows up like holding a knife to the archbishop's neck yeah menon yeah yeah and so so there's a moment when reed has to choose yeah so in in kind of that that same scuffle morgane sliced lou's neck she's like done with ritual she's at this point she's like i just need to get this girl's blood i need to start my sacrifice Mm -hmm. and so lou has just seen his almost well so reed so Reed has just seen his mother die in his arms. And then he turns around and Lou's about to die. And so he works completely on instinct. He just kind of like pretty much blacks out and he sees the thread. And he mm-hmm. knows that if he jumps ahead and he kills the archbishop, he can save Lou. He can do, he can like balance it out by killing the archbishop instead of killing mm-hmm. Lou because he loves both of them. And also when it comes down to, I guess you could argue life value, Lou's life is clearly of a lot of value to a lot of people as is the archbishops. That's true. So in in the world of magic and nature, like that's a equal. Yep. And so he makes the choice to kill his father, essentially to save Lou. Yeah. And we learned that Reed has magic. Yes, which they're not meant, boys born from witches are not supposed to have magic. And so everyone's just kind of totally perplexed as to how it happened. Yeah. They didn't even protect the archbishop because at first they assume that he's rushing over to Lou to save, like to hold her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he just kills the archbishop. Yeah, so in front of everyone, mm-hmm. it's then it becomes like, like Reed is then like in front of all the Chaucers for yep. the whole coven Reed is the murderer of the archbishop. Yeah. So they so he's pretty immediately excused of his position. 
yeah. <laughs> as captain. Yeah. And uh, so they they kind of tally-ho out of there because uh, chaos erupts. Yeah. And I think Jean-Luc, I think, actually unwittingly, like, without realizing it kind of helps them, I think. There's, like, something going on there. He keeps getting caught up in his competition, his personal competition with with Reed. Mm-hmm. And so in, in a few scenes in this one and in the next book, that yeah. works to their benefit. Yeah. So it's kind of this interesting relationship that is kind of essentially a rivaling, semi-rivaling uh, relationship, actually. He ends up, like, opening some windows for yeah. their group. Um because I think they've, the gang, the ragtag team, managed to escape the chateau with Lou. Yes. And with Madame LaBelle. Madame LaBelle. He, he doesn't even know she's alive yet, but he goes yeah. back for her body because he yeah. won't let his own mother yeah. be left there. And then even Coco, I feel like Coco was like, there. she played a part where she was using magic. And so she was like weakened. Yeah, because it costs, it, she has to use her blood. Yeah. So. So I just remember it was just like this really clumsy escape of just them yeah. like half alive, like like running out into yeah. the woods. Yeah. And I think that's the end of the book. Pretty much. I mean, Lou wakes up, finds out that he uses magic. They realize Madame LaBelle isn't dead. And that he, she's like, she, Lou finds out like she's Reed's mother, all yep. of these things. Um, so it's kind of like a really good start to the second book, which because like all of these secrets have unraveled, Lou has a second chance. Reed mm-hmm. is exiled from everything he ever knew. So Which is it, probably better for him. It, it is so much better for him. And it, it just sets up it's a good way to set up the next book, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that they've set up for them just to work through now. Yeah. Like Reed has to contend with the fact that he can use magic. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit, well, you brought up a little bit about his, like, scriptures that he says when he gets too horny or if he gets too angry. (laughs) Yeah. And part of me wonders if that's not a habit he picked up when he could, like, feel the magic surfacing, Mm -hmm. you know? Because for somebody who's never used it, that was a pretty heavy move. Yeah. Like, it, it really called for, like, desperate yeah desperation yeah really brought it about um especially like the the quickness of all of those events mm-hmm. he didn't have time to try something else yeah exactly but morgan is still alive uh, yeah they just got out of there mm-hmm. and the ragtag team kind of make camp in the woods mm-hmm. and that's kind of where we're left because they can't go back into the city because everyone there's like they're they're, they're all exposed to yeah, something different every, at this yeah point. exactly so so yeah i think like that kind of wraps up essentially the plot that we kind of went through step by step yeah and our appreciation for their love story yes the we way that that just it. organically happens between them. The way they choose to see each other as people instead of a chasseur and a witch. Yes. I also love that she calls him chess. Yes. yes he doesn't that. like it. He eventually tells her that, but... But it's cute. Because it, it was, like, really early on in their yeah. relationship. Um, but I will say, too, just 
kind of final thoughts that I've really felt like this book in a lot of fantasy worlds, you kind of always get saved by the magic. Mm-hmm. And I guess touching on what we spoke about the beginning and how the magic operates in this story, mm-hmm. that the magic seems to be overbearingly hard to work with. Yeah. You see that with like Morgane. A lot of fantasy books use magic as the way to save the person and save the plot and make you feel hope but this one definitely kind of had the opposite effect and i think it like i felt like everything was hanging on by a thread yeah that's what it felt like whereas a lot of fantasy books you're always like oh but it'll all work out in the end because we're here and like this person worked so hard but it's like i just kept i was literally on the edge of my seat in a lot of moments because i'm like I don't know. Like, they're not giving me much hope about, like, <laughs> things. It felt... It wasn't magic. It was, like, the power of friendship that yeah. saved them. Yeah. Not to Which I happy. think is important. Yeah. Yeah, that's and so good. Reed, as much as he wanted to save Lou after he realized his mistake, could not have done that on his own. Mm-hmm. He needed their gang to get together yeah. to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I... I just love, I just love the magic in this. I just Mm -hmm. love how it plays out. I love like how it's presented and kind of the aesthetics of it. Like it's Mm -hmm. just very like the smells and the colors and the threads. And like, I just think it's so unique. I, I like that. It seems like the threads are kind of always present. Mm -hmm. And you have to find them. Like you have to like, you have to reach out. Like it's very externalized. Yeah. Yeah. So, quick final questions. Okay. When did you think Reed fell for Lou? Okay. I think it's definitely before they have sex. I think he fell in love with her when they went to the theater together. Somewhere between offering her the book that he had hidden and them actually having the the theater date is where he fell in love with her. Right. Right, because I think it was seeing that distinction between, mm-hmm. like, the world that he, like, lives in where I think Cassili and Jean-Luc were there and, things, like, yeah. the Tremblays were there. And so, like, seeing Lou with, like, the society was just, like, kind of a realization that that's not what he wanted. And Yeah, exactly. What he wanted was Lou. And so I think that's a, a good one. So then when do you think that Lou fell for Reed? Lou fell for Reed. I I think I already touched on this a little. I think I realized, I think it was the Forge scene. Yeah. When, like, she was not expecting that kind of reception from him. And, like, because I think she was just so much expecting, like, the witch hunter. And then he, Lou came, or Reed came in and was like, mm-hmm. my wife. No. <laughs> <laughs> I regret that so much. <laughs> except I, I, that, I do have to agree, though. Yeah, except that not necessarily his wife, like Lou. Because I think for Reed, too, the physicality of the relationship was is the truth, right? Like, mm-hmm. things didn't really get physical until they were emotionally on the same page. <laughs> My wife. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I have to agree with that. Especially, like... He would have loved that dagger. 
Like you can see that she's actually trying to get him a gift that she knows mm -hmm. he'll like. Yeah. But she was trying to get him a real gift. Like gift yeah. giving is a love language for a reason. Yeah, exactly. So. All right. All right. So next week then join us while we talk about Blood and Honey, the sequel. Yes. Talk about re-navigating magic. Yeah, what we know now is Lou has a second chance. A third they, chance. They, yeah, seriously. Lou has to figure out how to overcome her mother. Does she have to kill her? All of that. So that's kind of her prerogative. Yeah, Reed is now living amongst, like, outlaws and yeah. is an outlaw and now has to, like navigate that morally but also he has magic so we'll get into that in the next episode with blood and honey the second book and uh meanwhile you can find us on instagram at in bed with books underscore definitely reach out if you have any questions comments you want to debate our opinions <laughs> we can definitely <laughs> we can we will listen okay we will listen to you um yeah. So thank you all for listening. Have yes. a great week and happy reading. Happy reading. Bye-bye. Bye. And then we wave. We wave nobody. in an audio. I think yeah. like the not the butcher the what are they called the Forge blacksmith Forge Master. <laughs> I like that one <laughs> he recognized I don't know how many people within the He's town the master of the forge <laughs> shut up